Some of you recognize that job. Anybody here want to contradict that movie? If so, you'll be eating alone at lunch. I'll just check in, all right? You, you moms are that and so much more. Today is a strange era in that we have all kinds of moms, traditional moms, adoptive moms, foster moms. We have some who are mothers again, grandmothers who have adopted their children, taken their children in for various number of reasons and are mothering again. We have single moms, we have special need moms, and I'm sure a host of moms I've left out. The very popular one is the grandmom, and that is grand. And so today, we just want to say thank you. I'm not going to have you stand. In days past, people said, please don't have a stand. So for those of you who want to stand, I'm honoring those that don't today, and we won't. But please know, just because I don't have you stand, it's not because we're not grateful. We are, and I hope today you're with your, your children. And if your mom is deceased, I know that she's on your heart. But if your mom is living, if she's not with you here, I do pray you'll contact her today and just let her know what a special, special lady she is. Mother's Day was designed to remember our own mother. Sometimes ladies come and they say, Pastor, I really dread Mother's Day because I don't have children. Well, really, Mother's Day wasn't designed for what we have. It's for the one we came from, our mom. And all of us, all of us have a mother. And so it's a day that we say, God, thank you for creating motherhood. And thank you for giving us our mother, whoever your mother may be. Mine's with the Lord, and she was a character. She, she taught me so much and loved me, and I'm very grateful Today I want to pray for you and for our country. We want to pray for all that's going on with America and internationally. We always have them on our mind on this Mother's Day. Uh, and though we also don't see them in the service, we want to pray for graduating seniors. That's always a special time of transition for mothers and daddies. But goodness, now today's 17, 18-year-olds are thrust out into a society that is radically different from those of us that are white-headed when we were 18. And so we want to pray for them to have wisdom and courage and strength of conviction, to be protected from the enemy, Satan, and to walk with God, and to have discernment between what is good and what is evil, and walk in the paths of righteousness. So today as I pray, I'm going to pray for the service, I'm going to pray for the country, I'm going to pray for mothers with thanksgiving, and pray for graduates. Would you join me? And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a glorious time we have, any time we can come before you in prayer. So often we treat it as a privilege only to be used in case of emergency, to break the glass and call on God as if you'll respond to 911 and no other time. The truth is, just like a parent who loves to be with their children or a grandparent who loves to be with their grandchildren, you delight when we call upon you in prayer. You created us for companionship. You delight in inviting us into your presence. In fact, Jesus' favorite word was, come unto me. And so that's what we're doing right now. We want to enter your presence. We want to sense your nearness. Today we give thanks for our, our mom and the moms in this room and the moms who have been since history began. For each one and their creativity and their challenges and the way that they live life with a great deal of love for their children. Not all were excellent in what they did, but all were very loving ultimately toward the child they gave. And I pray, the uh, child that they brought in the world, and I pray that today we give thanks to you for our mothers. Thank you for their impact, their influence in communities and ultimately in nations and the earth. We pray today, God, for graduates who are getting ready to uh, step out of the role of secondary education into careers, military, or further job training or further education. Please give them wisdom and knowledge in a perverse and crooked generation to walk in paths of righteousness and honor the, their father and mother in the things they were taught about God. We pray for our nation and certainly all that's going on internationally, nationally, all the upheaval and divisive uh, attitudes and spirit. 
Lord God, only you can bring unity. You said that righteousness exalts a nation, and that may be why we're so struggling so much. We have forgotten how to walk with God in righteousness. Rather, we live in the days of Judges where it says every man did what was right in his own eyes, and that's anarchy. Forgive us for turning from God, and I pray, as do pastors and church members and Christians all over the world, Lord God, please renew our vision of you. Please restore our holiness. Please cause us to repent of our sinfulness. Please, on this day in May, may we turn from our disobedience and walk with our God in fellowship and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Samuel is my text. I invite you to turn there. We're going to look at the life very quickly of one of the great women of the Old Testament. You know already when I say turn to this text, we're going to talk about a lady named Hannah. We're going to talk about the various things she faced and the things you face. And today, being a mom in this generation is a challenge. Some of you are uh, constantly a a taxi driver getting your child from point A to point B. You work in your own careers. You take care of the household. You manage the finances sometimes to make sure that they all come out right. I mean, do so many things. Multitasking would be almost an understatement of today's motherhood. I don't know who said it, but someone said to become a mother is not so difficult. On the other hand, being a mother is very much so. A mom can become a mom because of a moment in time. But being a mother for a child and really rearing that child in the nurture of the Lord is a lifetime commitment. Someone once said, once you have a baby, your, 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 your world just changed. It, what they don't always tell you, it's changed for a lifetime. Once you give birth to a baby, that child, they can be 6'4 and 260 pounds, but they're your little child. You love them and you hold them near in your heart and they never away from your thoughts. Motherhood is a special gift from God. When we pick up 1 Samuel chapter 1, we find the story of a lady named, uh, a, a, a lady in scripture that we named Hannah, that we see as the name of Hannah. She has a son and she calls him Samuel. The Hebrew word is Shem, Shemuel, Shema, Shema, Deuteronomy says, Shema, hero Israel. The word Shema means here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and that's the Shema of the Jews, the, the thing they say in the hearing of God, the thing they heard from God. Well, Shemuel means God heard me, and Hannah's going to have a baby who names him Shemuel, God heard my request. So let's, let me read very quickly 1 Samuel 1, and then I want to just make three or four insights, and we're going to adjourn for the morning. There's a man, it says in 1 Samuel 1, was a man from Ramathim Zophim. His name was Elkinah, verse 2. Had two wives. One was Hannah and one was Penina. Penina had children. Hannah did not. Now, immediately see, what do we have here? We have a blended home. But the difficulty in that day and age, Penina and Hannah lived under the same roof. Some of you have been through divorce. And you say, boy, our husband may say, my former mate just likes to inflict pain. Or my former husband just wants to inflict pain. Or they're always badgering. Well, imagine if you still lived under the same roof and there was friction. So here's a man named Elkanah, and he has two wives, one Hannah, one named Penina. One had children. Hannah was childless. The man, Elkanah, would go up verse 3 from his town every year. And this inference is for the Passover was established in the days of the Exodus, which was about 1400, 1350 B.C. 
And this is about the year 1000. David uh, lived in the year 1000 or so. And so we have a, a story that's taking place just a little this side of 1000 BC. So they've been in the land. Uh, they've been in the land for a season. Judges ended. The period of the judges ended about 1200, maybe 1100. And this is 1000. So for about 200 years, they've been in the land between the, the era of conquest of, of the land of promise and the reign of King David. Now that's, it's in that zone that we're picking up the story. Verse 3. The man would go up from his home, his town every year, likely at Passover, spring of the year, to worship and sacrifice the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Now remember that was the place of worship before they took Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not yet a Jewish city. Jerusalem had not been taken, so Shiloh was the place where they worshipped, and that was where the tabernacle was, where Eli was. It's about, it's about 60 miles from where, uh, excuse me, 20 miles from where Elkanah lived. He'd walk 20 miles once a year at Passover to be at the tabernacle in Shiloh. So here, here, that's the background. Verse 3, the man would go up from his town every year to worship and sacrifice the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Ophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. If you remember the Old Testament, they were corrupt, vile, adulterous, wicked, thieves, you name it. They were bad people. Though they were priests, they were immoral. Verse 4. When Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and, he also, and to her sons and daughters, but he gave a double portion. So he loved Hannah. So like Jacob with Rachel and Leah, he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Now remember, if something doesn't happen, God is the person. If it happens, give God the glory. If it didn't happen, God caused it. So when it says the Lord caused her not to have children, if she didn't have children, it's because God didn't want her to have children. So in the Hebrew mindset, God is the ultimate mover. He either provides it or he stops it. So here where it says it, doesn't, it was not so much a grudge or a judgment, it's just all things come from the hand of God. So look what it says, verse 5. Uh, he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival, Penina would taunt her, doesn't just say taunt her, taunted her severely, not just taunted her severely, she did it with a, a, a bad heart, she wanted to provoke her because the Lord had kept her from conceiving and wherever she went up to the Lord's house, it, does it get any worse than that? Did you, did he, don't raise your hands, did any of you have some pretty cross words on the way to church this morning, don't raise your hands, anybody here have a pretty good, pretty good Mother's Day row on the way to church this morning, isn't that amazing? Bible says when they were walking toward worship, what happened? Panina would make it a point while they're on the way. Say, well, I'm going to sacrifice thanks offerings for my children, but you don't have any. Can you hear it? 20 miles of that every time they went up to give sacrifice. Whenever she went to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in every way every year. Does that get old? <laughs> Look what it says, verse 8. Or verse 7, whenever she went to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way every day. Hannah wept, you would too, some of you have because you're childless. And really, though she was traveling, she said, I'm, I'm not even hungry. You've been there when you grieve so much, you say, food doesn't sound good to me, I, I'm, I'm not interested. Verse 8, Hannah, Elkanah asked, Hannah, why are you crying? Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? He knew, but then this isn't necessarily the best answer. Just being married to me and that's good as having 10 children. <laughs> Y'all can work that out when you get home. But that's what he said. 
The altar's open, by the way, if you can't make it to the house. But here it is. Hannah, verse 9. Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. And Eli the priest was sitting by chair, on a chair by the doorpost of the tabernacle. Now this is Shiloh. A tabernacle's a tent. He's sitting by the door of the tent where the sacrifice was made. Deeply heard, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Now notice she had not eaten. She was weeping, she was praying, and she was praying even with tears. Now, look at this. After that, she made a vow. Listen, if you make a vow without being earnest of heart, you've absolutely walked on God's grace. Don't, don't make a foolish vow. God, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You better be real, real sure that your resolve is sure and your heart is pure and you're doing what God would have you to do. Don't make empty promises. Listen, your family doesn't like it if you make promises you don't keep. Your boss sure doesn't like it if you said, oh, I'm going to get to that tomorrow, and you don't. He doesn't like it. So don't make light promises to God that you don't keep. If you promise, I'm going to do this, I pledge, I'm going to do this, you make real sure. And that's what the Bible says here. After she prayed and fasted, verse 11, notice her, the magnanim her magnanimous spirit. Look at this. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of hosts, if you'll take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and his hair will never be cut. What a, what a promise. God, I'm not asking for a son to care for Elkanah and me in our old age. That's, what, that's not what I'm asking because they didn't have Social Security. You needed a boy. That's why so many businesses in early America say Smith and Son or Jones and Son. Why? Because that son, when I go, he's going to be the owner of this business. You didn't have Social Security. You didn't have welfare. So if you had a son, you had hopes that somebody could provide for you in your old age to take care of your place. So she doesn't say, Lord, if you, if you don't give me a son, there's nothing. I have no security in my old age. And furthermore, I have no son to provide for my husband in his old age. She, Please give me a son to help us in our old age. She didn't say that. Her, her vow is to God. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of hosts. By the way, this is the first time ever God's called God's called Jehovah Sabaoth, not Sabbath, Sabaoth, S-A-B-A-O-T-H, Lord of all the hosts of heaven. Samuel was the first one to ever call God the Lord of all the hosts of heaven. Why? There was great turbulence, great unrest, great fighting in the days of the judges, great difficulty, and people were getting further and further from God, and their enemies were strong, and said, our enemies are so strong, he says, fear not, our God is the God of all the hosts of heaven that's who he's praying to that's who she's praying to pretty strong prayer Lord of hosts if you'll take notice of your servants affliction and remember and forget me not and give your servant a son I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and he'll never have a haircut why that was a sign of a Nazarite vow who else do we know that was pledged never to have his haircut man named Samson very good class Samson and Samson, when he promised not to have his hair cut, it would, people said, well, his, his strength was in his hair. No, his strength was in the covenant that was made to God. This boy will never take strong drink. And as an outward sign that he belongs to God and God alone, no razor will ever come on his head as a sign of his covering by God Almighty. So when he cut his hair, he said, my, my walk with God doesn't matter. I don't, I don't care about that anymore. She said of her son, Samuel, never he will never have a haircut as a sign to all the world. Wait a minute. You, your parents must have promised something about you, boy. When he's an old man, Sammy, your hair is so long. Did your parents commit you to God as a child? Can I tell you the story of my mama Hannah, he'd say? 
Are your children marked for life by the touch of God? Where they go and what they do, does everybody say, you've got the hand of God on your life? So, So that hair was a sign outwardly that he belonged to God. Verse 12. While she was praying, now now look at the sadness. This this is a sad verse. If you don't pick it up, I'll explain it. While she was praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her lips. Hannah was speaking to herself, although her lips were moving. Her voice could not be heard. And Eli thought she was drunk and scolded her. How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah said, I'm a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. And then Eli blessed her. Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the petition you've requested. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. In other words, may may you find favor with me and not, not curse me but bless me. And Hannah went on her way and she ate. Now she ate. And she no longer was downcast. Why is that so tragic? When's the last time you were in church and somebody began to pray? And I mean, they were crying out. I don't mean, dear God. I mean, dear God, hear me now. When's the last time? (laughs) That scared you on the front row. We're Baptist. We have padded seats. We have central air. We're much calmer. So is the cemetery. <laughs> the Bible says, cry out to the Lord. What, happened if, what if I said today at 3 o'clock we're going to have an all-church prayer meeting? Would we need this room? You can be honest. Would we need this room? Would we need to bring, would I need to say, step, go on and put chairs around the house because at 3 o'clock we're going to have a calling out to God. Would we need extra chairs? Just one at a time. You can be, it's church. God knows anyway. It's church. Would we need extra chairs at a prayer meeting? (laughs) Isn't it sad when church gets so perfunctory that when somebody comes in earnestly broken by God, we find them an anomaly instead of the norm? Are you listening to any of this? Isn't it amazing when one godly woman came and she was, have you ever seen a Jew pray? At the Wailing Wall, you ever seen them pray? They say, listen, love the Lord your God with all your strength. Why why are they doing this? I don't want my mind to drift. I I, I don't want anybody to think I'm casual in my prayer. I'm I'm earnest. And as they pray, every part of them is moving as a way to say, everything I've got, I'm putting before God in my prayer. Most Baptist prayers are pretty bland. We just repeat what over the years we've heard people say, I like this phrase, that one, this phrase, that one. And we just kind of put it together and put an amen on it, and that's my prayer. Isn't it amazing if somebody comes and they're weeping tears, first thing in our thought is, wonder what they did. Goodness, look how broken they are. They must really be confessing a big one. Right? Do you see the anathema? When the nation is so accustomed to perfunctory religion that true faith scared the daylights even out of the priest. <laughs> he thought she'd been drinking. Why? Pagans got drunk to go to their gods because in the days of LSD they said you need to take acid to free your mind up to see things you can't see. Well, they, they did see. They, did see, they saw things they had never seen before. But, but there's a feeling, it's the Native Americans who would smoke peyote said it's a way to release our spirit to see and feel things of God, of our gods that we can't feel otherwise. Well, the truth is, there were drunken, there were people who honored gods that thought the way to 
destroy your, res your resistance to your God. You just get drunk. And so you'd come in, and you'd kind of woozy, and you'd be... And the priest say, listen, don't, don't, don't mess up the altar. Get out of here till you sober up. So he said, I, I see a woman here who's, sober, who's not sober. She's been drinking. She said, I, I'm a woman with a broken heart. Could you tell the difference between drunkenness and brokenness? Now, I'm a person with a broken heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying for my heart. And he said, forgive me, in essence. And forgive me. Go in peace, verse 17. May the God of Israel grant the petition you've requested. May your servant find favor. And then Hannah went on her way. And once she'd laid down her burden on the altar, guess what? Now I can eat. Why? That burden is passed. Do you know how good it feels when you finally get right with God and you say the whole world looks different? She could eat. And the Bible says she wasn't downcast. Very quickly, verse 19, guess what? Now, have you noticed all the times they're praying? Let me, let me refresh your memory. Verse 3 Elkanah is on his way up to give sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. Last phrase of verse 7, Hannah wept and would not eat and she, she, because her heart was so broken. Verse 10, deeply hurt, she prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Verse 11, she made a vow. Verse 12, while she was praying in the Lord's presence. The Bible says in verse 19, Elkanah, the next morning after she had her time of prayer at the, at the tabernacle, Elkanah and Hannah got up early. To bow and to worship the Lord. So even after she laid down her burden, she got up the next morning to thank God for taking it. Afterwards, they returned home to Ramah. Elkanah was intimate with his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And sometime after, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Shemuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord, or the Lord heard my request. When Elkanah and all his household went up to make the annual sacrifice, his, uh, uh, Elkanah and all his household went up to make the annual sacrifice and his vow offering the Lord. This is a year later. Hannah did not go and explained to her husband, after the child is weaned, I'll take him and appear in the Lord's presence, and the boy will stay there permanently. And her husband, who respected her, Elkanah, replied, Do what you think is best. Stay here until you weaned him. Why? Can you imagine taking a newborn 20-mile walk? Oh, well, they had a burrow. Have you ridden a burrow 20 miles with a newborn? He, he, he's not... He, he's not weaned, he's dependent on his mama, he's not sleeping good, and now you're going to take him 20 miles? I don't think so. Her husband replied, do what you think is best and stay here until you've weaned him, and may the Lord confirm your word. Meaning you've made a promise, once you take him, the Lord will confirm what you're to do and what you promise. So Hannah stayed there and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh. Now she took a sacrifice. She promised God, I'll give him to you. And she takes a sacrifice as a consecration. A three-year-old bull, two and a half gallons of flour in order to prepare the meat after it's cooked, and a jar of wine. And though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh, and then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. Please, my Lord, she said, as sure as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy, and the Lord gave me what I asked for. Now I'm doing what I promised. I give the boy to the Lord for as long as he lives. He's given to the Lord, and there he. Now who's the he? Not, 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 not Eli. It's not Elkanah. She's taking the boy by herself. Who's it praying? By the time she weaned her boy, she had already taught him very simply, we're in the presence of the Lord. I wonder how old he was. I wonder, was he three, maybe four? 
And yet he knew enough when his mama said, we're going to pray. You ever seen a little, you ever seen a little one? How, how soon will we start training them in the nurture of the Lord? When mama said, you're here to be his for now, and he prayed to the Lord. I don't do good when I have three verses, so in a whole chapter, y'all need to pray that I get through this. But I want to just share three or four quick things. I cannot preach it, but I can give you some pointers that this says to me on this day. First of all, spring of the year is just like now, a little earlier. Passover is around Easter, our Easter. So it's a little earlier. It's cool, but the days are getting long, sun shining, good time to travel. And they're going to make, take a 20-mile walk is where the story picks up. They're on their way to Shiloh. We don't have time to do a background study of this era, but the contrast just in this chapter knock you down if you're listening. If you remember Hophni and Phinehas, they were so corrupt that, that, that God disowned them. I mean, that, that they were committing adultery with women bringing offerings. They were saying, well, now this is good, but if you really want God's favor, you need to have a priest. And they were taking her behind the tent. Imagine. They, they were stealing meat that should have gone to the Lord and, and to the family. They were taking it extra portion for themselves. Instead of waiting until it was roasted, they cut out the, the tenderloins, the good parts for them before it ever went into the, into the cauldron. They were blasphemous. I mean, they treated the things of God with contempt. So you have against the holiness of a lady who lives out in the countryside, you have the holiness of the people juxtaposed to the corruption of religion. And then you have a lady who's got a heart for God in a family where her husband has another wife named Panina, and all she does is inflict pain. And instead of getting bitter at Panina, it presses her ever closer to Christ. What do you do with your thorns? See, the thorn in her flesh didn't say, I hate my house, I hate my husband, I hate that woman, I hate her children, I'm so miserable. That's one approach. Or as you know, Panina, as ugly as you are to me, all I can think of is how good God's been to me. And the uglier you get, the more I think about God's mercy. That's a better approach, isn't it? And the Bible says as, she, as here's a lady who's faithful going to a temple with two corrupt priests, Eli's old, there's strife in her home, there's sorrow because she's childless. There's some going to be in this service and next, and some listening live stream say, Brother Nick, I just can't come on Mother's Day because when you talk about mothers, it's just like a dagger in my heart. I, I've wanted to have children, I can't. And it kills me. Elkanah went to worship the Lord, and Hannah chose to be with her husband. There are four things that hit me about this passage. First of all, her, the, whole, the whole story is built around the fact that she's barren. She's barren. She's childless. Many a woman, many woman in this room today is childless, not because you didn't have a child. Some of you have lost a child in death to disease. Some of you had a child die tragically in an accident. Some of you were not able to bear a child. Some of you are the grief of a baby that you carried to term and it was stillborn. Some of you here stood at the grave of your child and no mother ever ought to have to bury her child. The 46 years of being a pastor, the one that I dread the most is standing at the graveside in an open hole with a mama who's saying farewell to their child, whatever that child is. No mama anticipates the day you'll, your child will precede you in death. Whatever the reason for a child in the the pain in her heart was real. In Hannah's case, it was made more severe because every step of the way, every day, Panina had reminded her, children, don't get over there. Hannah doesn't know how to treat children. She doesn't have any. Come on back over here with your mama. Hannah, don't you wish, they aren't my children precious. Don't you wish you had some children, Hannah? I mean, this woman wasn't just casually mean. She was mean to the core. 
And she delighted. It says day after day or year after year, she, 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 she persisted in being belligerent to the other lady in the household. It, may, it, it was her way of saying, well, your husband may love you more than me, but I got news for you. He'll be glad he's got children for me. Sweet spirit, Panina. The Bible says her taunting, her taunting made Hannah skinny. Not a good weight loss program when you lose weight because you're grieving. It's effective, not preferred. The Bible says she couldn't eat. Now, I don't know how long she couldn't eat, but I'm sure it meant pretty regular. She just said, I cannot come to the table with your bride, your other wife, and all those children. It just, it's just too much. I, I, I can't. And the Bible says she wept. Her tears were not pretend, and her tears were not just on a certain day of the year. It was every day. Those children out playing, every day she can hear their laughter. Every day she hears the newest, newest baby cry. Every day she's around them. And every day it's a reminder of what I don't have. Amazing thing, she was not, she was not, she was not, not belligerent, she was just barren. But out of that barrenness came a sense of brokenness. Now, I fear that that's the one thing I fear, that we don't have much brokenness today over much. We're broken when it hits us. We're broken if we lose our job. We're broken if we get the cancer word. We're broken if we have a heart attack. We're, we're broken if our child suddenly develops a horrible illness. But those are all personal Rarely are we broken over sin. Rarely broken over immorality. We're not broken over the fact that so many teenagers today have already left the church before they ever leave high school. We're not broken about it. We're concerned. And we think that's the same as, well, you know, I, I just wish we had more teenagers. Well, what are we doing? Teenagers have parents. Teenagers have grandparents. What, what are we doing? If teenagers going to come, who needs to come first? And so the truth is we're not broken. We, we talk about it. But we're not broken. God said the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God. That's what you will not despise. Hannah wasn't broken because of her sinfulness. There's no indication she was a sinful woman. She wasn't broken because she'd rebelled against God. God said because you did that, you'll never bear children. There's no sign of rebellion, rather there's a sign of righteousness. She wasn't rebellious because her husband, she wasn't broken because her husband be mean to her. He wasn't a mean husband. He loved her. That gave her a double portion every time he took a sacrifice. Do you not think that made Panina matter? All the way up there, she had, she had taunted she had taunted Hannah, and all the way home, he couldn't do enough nice stuff for her, including giving her a double portion of what had been cooked in the cauldron from the sacrifice. This was not a good relationship with Panina, but a great relationship with her husband. He was sorry she didn't have children. He'd give anything in the world for her to have children. But it was not to be. Some of you know what that's like. There are women in this room who say, all my life I wanted a baby, but I just didn't, God just didn't, didn't provide it. Now the sad thing is, and you who don't have children know this, sometimes those of us who have had children say things that inadvertently can be very painful for you. Not because we're mean-spirited, we just, we're just not sharp. Sometimes in younger couples, an older couple say, y'all had not had a child yet? How long are you going to be married before you start planning a family? Well, you know, by the time I was your age, I had three. And that young lady's dying. Did I say that to be ugly? No, I'm just dumb. And see, there are women that hurt every day when they see your children, but they can't have a child. And so they feel like, how many more ways can you hit me? 
Hannah wasn't barren, wasn't bitter about her barrenness. She was just broken over it. I find it interesting that she chose, instead of taking out her bitterness on Panina and exacerbating that division, she, she determined, I'm going to take my cares to the Lord and leave them there. That's what the Bible says. You can cast all your cares on Him. He really does care for you. We used to sing an old hymn in church. You remember this, those of you who have white hair like me. What a friend we have in Jesus. Remember that? Do you remember the lyrics? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and what? Griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we, we bear. All because we do not carry what? Everything to God in prayer. Hannah carried it to the Lord. But I want you to notice the nobility of her request and her, 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 her request and her request. It wasn't God, I think you owe me a son. God, I need a son for my husband. My boy, my boy be his best boy because he loves me most. Give me a son. There was no selfishness, no me-ism. She said, God, I would give anything in the world to have a son. But here's the deal. If you'll give me a son, I promise you, the glory of that my life would be that you heard my prayer and I would be so grateful I'd give him back to you now pause put put the pause button one second can we move upstream just a little bit from a mama's prayer to what she just said are you with me listen just a minute Eli's old and, and his successors Hophni and Phineas, are corrupt so, so Houston we have a problem because if the sons are going to take the, the tabernacle worship in a direction that's totally godless, then behind them, if they have sons, their sons are going to be worse than their, their, than their fathers. So the grandchildren of Eli would be even worse than Hophni and Phinehas. Houston, we have a problem. So what did God need? He needed a priest and a prophet that would be noble of birth, powerful in spirit, a man of God who would honor the worship of God. And to do that, he found a godly woman to give birth to a godly son. Are you listening? In the infinite plan of God, he said, Hannah, I've been looking for you, and the reason I have not yet let you have a boy is because there's a certain boy that's coming, and I had to wait until you were so in tune with me through all the battering and the badgering and the belligerency of Panina to prove that your heart is pure and every way it's been tested, every impurity is gone so that to find and create a man of God, I need a woman who will bring that man of God in the world with a godly husband to rear that boy in the nurture of the Lord. And when you bring him to dedicate him, I want his handprint, my handprint to already be on him so much that even as a little boy, the day of his dedication, he prays and gives thanks to God. You ever wonder why Elizabeth didn't have a boy sooner? There's only one John the Baptist. Just one. Did you wonder why God who created the procreation method only waited till Mary came into the world? Because the Bible says she was chosen of God and blessed among all women. One lady who had one baby that she would commit to the will of the Father. Not willingly. There were times when she said, what are you doing here? When he was 12 years old, how could you do this? You remember what she said? How could you do this what? To me. I'm your mama. Woman, did you not know I must be about my father's 
business. You remember when he was older and doing things and people said, I think he's, I think he's Beelzebub. I think he's crazy. And the Bible says Mary and her, her other sons came to get Jesus and take him home because they thought him to be mad. And they came, Mary whispered to one of the men and came and said, your mama's outside. He said, who is my mother? What? What? Listen, you got to have a strong woman of faith if you're going to raise a strong son of godliness. The Bible says he didn't give Hannah a son not because he was eager, uh, not because he's mean, but because he's eager to see her faithfulness in rearing that boy. She was believing. Was she barren? Yes. Was she broken? Oh, my soul. But then she was believing her faith. Her faith was sure. Someone has said, Pamela Reeve wrote, faith is confidence in God's faithfulness. Did you hear it? Faith is confidence in God's faithfulness to us in an uncertain world, in an uncharted course, toward an unknown future. I'm going to trust God. Sometimes faith means you live with the answer no. Now, now I'm going to say something that's going to make somebody put your lip out. I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it. God owes us no explanation of his whys. I didn't say we don't ask. And I don't say there's some of these that used to sit in these seats and didn't leave. Well, God did that, and I don't know why he did that. Listen, there's tons of things I don't know why God allows. He doesn't know us an explanation. He calls for our obedience. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. I didn't create him. Therefore, there are times I cannot explain him. He created me. A child of two cannot explain the things an adult hears on the news. You can't say to a two-year-old, tell me what happened on the news today. He's incapable. You think I can explain an eternal God? Now, really? Really? I didn't make God. We are his sheep, created in his pasture. He is our God, and we owe him obedience and faith. And along the way, he blesses in unexplained ways. We never ask why for a blessing, do we? Boy, that was wonderful. Why'd you do that? But when there's a sorrow, what's wrong with God? There are couples, there are couples that don't have children, that's true. But hear me, God has blessed you many times in other ways. The fulfillment of life, the fulfillment of life doesn't hinge on the ability to procreate. It's nothing wrong with wishing for something, longing for something. Goodness, there are things in my life I long for daily. I get to the point I don't think they're going to happen simply because there's not that much time left, likely. But the things I've, I, when I was young, I thought, sure, I'd do. I thought there were sure the things I'd see happen. But the truth is, longing for something is not a sin. Refusing to be happy because we don't get it is a sin. Many of you have read the Serenity Prayer, but you only read the first phrase. Do you know the whole? I didn't. Here's the Serenity Prayer, the whole, the whole Serenity Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. That's the part we hear. Here's the rest of it. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it to be, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, 
so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Our prayer was fervent. It wasn't, Lord, I sure would like to have a child. You know that. I've asked you this now for 20 years coming down here at the altar. I sure thought you'd give me one by now, but whenever you're ready, I'm ready. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't that kind of how we pray? <laughs> you're in church. Do you pray? If so, most often it's just a few trite phrases that we've heard, and we say those again and again and again, because we just think that's all we can say. If you said the same phrase to your wife every day for 30 years, would you say, can you learn one new phrase made for our anniversary? You reckon God ever gets tired of those same phrases and would like to say, do you have any creativity in that little gray matter that's left? Sad commentary. Sad commentary when pagans froth at the mouth and cut themselves and get drunk to try to impress their God and we make it so ritualistic it's cold as a deep freeze. Did you see what it said in verses 15? Look at this one more time. We've got to finish. Here it is. Look. She was believing. Verse 15. I'm, I'm not drunk. Eli just said, how long are you going to keep on being drunk? Verse 15 of 1 Samuel 1. No, my Lord. I'm a woman with a broken heart. Any of those here? I haven't had any wine or beer. Any of those here? I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Any of those here? Please don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, go in, and by the way, notice she took her resentment where? Not to Penina. God, I'm confessing, I resent every day hearing her jab me. That's why I'm coming to you. Eli responded, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the petition you've requested from him. And she said, then may your servant find favor with you. In other words, what you said, I pray that I live in such a way that when I come back, you'll see that God did favor me with what you said. Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer appeared downcast. I prayed to the Lord for a boy. He gave me a son. I now give him back to God. Her faith in God, her faith in God was the same that she desired for Samuel. 1 Samuel 12, 24 says, Only fear the Lord. Serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he's done for you. Our world sure does need godly homes. It begins with a man who's wise enough to marry a godly woman and a woman who's wise enough not to compromise her values to rear children in the nurture of the Lord. It's a war. Your children today are bombarded with more stuff than we ever dreamed when we were children. We didn't have social media. We didn't have television programs that are vile. We didn't have conversations when we go to, to grade school. I'm amazed hearing elementary teachers from time to time when they ask for prayer. And they'll come say, I've got a child in my class that's going through this at home. And I'm thinking, dear God, what happened to us as a nation? We need godly homes, godly moms. I want to close with one one thought about moms and we're going to quit. Hannah was barren, but she took it to the Lord. She was broken, she took that to the Lord. She was believing because she trusted the Lord. And she was blessed because God heard her and gave her a son. And she gave that boy back to God. Motherhood's a precious gift. Listen to this. Somebody said a child is carried in its, mother womb, its mother's womb for nine months. 
But that person doesn't know a child is really carried in a mother's heart forever. Somebody said it takes about six weeks to get back to normal after you had a baby, but that person didn't know that once you're a mother, normal is forever history. Somebody said you learn how to be a mother by instinct. That person doesn't realize uh, that person never took a three-year-old shopping. Somebody said being a mother is boring. Well, that person never rode in a car driven by a teenager with a driver's permit. Somebody said good mothers never raise their voices. <laughs> that person came out the back door just in time to see her child hit a golf ball through the neighbor's window and they to raise their voice. Somebody said you don't need an education to be a mother, but that person never helped mom do a fourth grade, helped a fourth grader with math. Somebody said you, don't, you can't love a fifth child as much as you love the first. That person never had five children. Somebody said a mother can find all the answers to her child-rearing questions in books. But that, never, that child never had a mother who loved to put beans up their nose. Somebody said the hardest part of being a mother is labor and delivery. That person never watched their baby get on the bus for the first day of kindergarten. Somebody said a mother can stop worrying after a child gets married, but that person doesn't know that marriage just adds a new son or daughter-in-law to a mother's heartstrings. Somebody said a mother's job is done when her last child leaves home. That person never had children or grandchildren. Somebody said your mother knows you. She knows you love her, and you don't need to tell her. That person is not a mother. I'm grateful for godly homes, and I'm grateful for godly mothers, and I'm grateful the Bible is very clear about what it means to be one. Stand with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today on this Mother's Day that we can remember the faith of a lady named Hannah. Goodness, what an example she is of waiting on the Lord and calling on the Lord, not because life was easy, but because her faith was strong. She chose not to yield to human instincts of fighting back, but rather to take her fight in faith to God in prayer. Today there may be those in the room that say, Brother Nick, I, I've not lived up to what my mama wanted to be. She wanted me to be a Christian, and I never, I never made that commitment. Some of you in the room that that'd be true. Some of you listening by live stream. Brother Nick, I've never done, I've never done what my mom and daddy taught me to do. I've never become a Christian. Why, why, why would you keep putting that off? Do you think your mother meant you ill when she said, I want you to walk with Christ? Do you think that was a curse on your life? Do you think she said that to you to be mean and limit your life? Or do you think she realized the only hope you have of a full and abundant life is walking with God? There's some in this room saying, my mother reared me right. I just never followed the Lord for myself. I'm going to ask you today on this Mother's Day to correct that. I'm going to ask you today to make a step of faith and step out in the aisle and come to the front. Pastors, if you're in the room, you come to the front. There are going to be pastors in this altar along with a lady to talk to ladies if you are a lady and prefer speaking to a woman. Some of you here say, Brother Nick, I've never trusted Christ. Then would you stop that confession today and pick up a new one? Say today, I'm going to go talk to a pastor. You say, well, I don't know. Brother Nick, I don't know what to say. Here's all you say. I need Jesus. How hard is that? I need Jesus. I'm going to invite you today. Come put your hand in the hand of one of these pastors on Mother's Day. And say today, I need Jesus. We'll wait for you to come. Maybe there's some in the room say, Brother Nick, I need a church home. You've come. 
Maybe some today who say, I just need to spend some time with God in prayer. Well, their prayer bench is at the front. Maybe it's a good time for you men to take the hand of your wife very quietly while we sing. You just pray in her ear and thank God for this lady who's the mother of your children and a wonderful mate to you. Wouldn't this be good on Mother's Day if there was a marriage renewal in every couple in the house? Determined to go back home and make their home truly more godly than ever as they walk in the paths of righteousness. Be a great time to pray for her, men. Lord, you, you know what we need. I, I, I'm just I, I'm just the messenger bringing bread from heaven to your people today. As we eat at your table and feast on your truth, help us to obey and do what you'd have us to do. In Jesus' name, 